Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Remain standing here as we read uh, chapter 14 of John, verses 7 through 14. It says, If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of these works themselves. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Thank you. You can be seated. Let me translate that... uh, Introduction there from Devin. You know, you've probably heard a pastor or two stand up and say, hey, I'm second, I'm third string here today. And, um, today, it's, it, it's more like the equipment manager they found out used to play some back in college and were, you know, 10 day contract real quick, get in and out. So, anyway, uh, I'm honored to, to bring God's word here to you. Uh, we're picking up right where Pastor John left off. John chapter 14, 1 through 6 last week, uh, talking about the troubled hearts of the disciples. Jesus had just told them he is leaving them. They are scared. They are confused. They are in need. And he reminds them of his presence. He reminds them of his promises. He encourages them by uh, telling them again, if you believe in me as the way, the truth, and the life, I will go forward and prepare a place for you in heaven. And and we're going to continue right off of that statement. We're talking this morning about the power of belief. And I'm going to read verse 7 again so that we can see what Jesus continued right off of verse 6 to say. If you know me, you will also know my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So, This is a profound statement that Jesus is bringing here. He is telling them, I and God are one. I am in God, the Father. God the Father is in me. We are one. He is claiming to be God. This is not the first time that Jesus has made this claim. Other times in, in the New Testament, other occasions and in other words, he has also made this claim. But this is still a very profound statement to be making um, we'll come back to this idea, though, of God the Father and God the Son being one. But first, we have another question. Since getting to the upper room, we've had several 
questions. Peter questioned, Jesus, why are you washing my feet? Judas questioned the entire ministry and life and identity of who Jesus is. Thomas questioned, where are you going? And now Philip says right here, show us the father, that is enough for us. Jesus just finished his last words are saying that the father, if you know the father, you know me. And Philip turns around and says, show us the father. He wants to see a light beam come down, a voice, an angel singing. He wants some kind of sign to encourage them, to empower them to continue on this ministry that Jesus has started them on. If he's leaving them, they need something as his, as his departure. It's easy for us to look at Philip here and say, Philip, don't you get it? You've been there with Jesus for three whole years. He just finished saying he, in, he and the Father are one. What is, what is so hard? But we have to understand that this is a very difficult time for the disciples. Uh, their, their discouragement is so heavy right now. They don't understand why Jesus has to leave them in this way. Uh, just some lesser but maybe more practical examples for us to say in the business world say you get in on the front door on the ground level of a startup business and it is skyrocketing you're turning profits you're gaining investors you're acquiring other companies and and you're just right alongside this this powerful charismatic ceo that's really carrying things along and really growing to just unprecedented heights and then he after a few years there, turns to the board and says, I'm done. You know, you guys have it now. Go forward and conquer. It's all yours. You would, you would be scrambling. You would not know what to do. Who's in charge now? How do we gain other investors? How like, do we carry on the heart and the mind behind this? You, you created the product. You, you established the service. And now we're supposed to just pick up and continue Maybe you're more of a, a, a creative type. Say you and your, your friends and you, you gathered together and you've been playing music for a while and you finally, like, you finally kicked it off. You, you started a band and, and you, you even get in the local radio. You enter into a nationwide competition. You become famous. People know who you are. People recognize you and you're really feeling great about things. You schedule a tour, a few shows in, and the front man's like, peace, I'm, I'm done, I'm I'm satisfied. I'm out of here. What do you do then? How are you supposed to continue on? Or maybe you were an athlete and you worked as hard as you could and you got to the NBA and you were on a team that was really doing incredible things. You had an all-star, an all-time all-star on your team. You went to the NBA championships three years in a row. You won all three years. And then Michael Jordan decides to go play minor league baseball. How, how are you? What are you supposed to do? How, what's that next year? Just scrapped? Like, how are you supposed to continue on? These people in these situations, like these disciples in John chapter 14, are scared. They are fearful, they are confused, and they need something to believe in. And that's what Jesus is going to give us here in this passage. He's going to give us three beliefs that will change your life. Three beliefs that'll change your life. The first belief that we have here today is belief in the Father and the Son. 
We just read here that Jesus and the Father are one. In, in verses 9 through 11, he says several times, after saying, show us the Father, he says, don't you believe I am the Father and the Father is in me? The Father who lives in me does this work. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He, he repeats this several times to emphasize we are one. If you see me, you see the Father. They, they are wanting a sign here. They are wanting encouragement. And this is Jesus' first words is, I am God. There should be no fear about continuing in ministry because I am still with you as God the Father has been with you before I was present on earth with you. John, um, John 14 tells us in this way, but I want to read Hebrews 1.3. This uh, verse here uh, explains it in another way. It says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So it's not God the Father, and then there's also the Son. God the Father and God the Son are one. Jesus shows us in physical human form the Father. So this is a difficult concept to grasp. This is nothing, none of us can really stand up here and say, oh, I have complete understanding and full grasp of the Trinity. No big deal. Try to explain it to a child. I, mean, I know Beck's tried it in kids' ministry. You know, parents have, have tried that at home. You're going to fall short in some capacity. But if not our words here, let's look to the Prince of Preachers. Charles Spurgeon, in his eloquence and his wisdom, says... Hope not, my brothers and sisters, that the preacher can grapple with such a subject. I am overcome by it. So, not very encouraging, but this shows us that even through all of his years of study and ministry and understanding God's word, he cannot fully explain this. The disciples don't get it. They don't get it because it's not easy. It's, It's a complicated, complex thing. But yet so simple. Jesus and the Father are one, we must believe that the Jesus, historical Jesus of the Bible that is written about in not only scripture, but in historical documents was God and is God. Um, to, To see it in his own words, if we go to John chapter three, verses 30 through 33, it's he, he before the Jewish people says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So, Jesus absolutely claimed to be God. That was the whole the reason the Jewish people were coming to arrest and, and attempt to put him to death. Uh, I have another quote here uh, by C.S. Lewis. It says, If the claim that Jesus is making about being God is false, then either he said it knowing it was false, in which case he is a liar, 
or he said it not knowing it was false, in which case he is mad. Therefore, we are left with three logical options. He's either God or a liar or a lunatic. We know the answer here. Jesus continued to prove his word true. He continued to fulfill prophecies through scripture. He is not a liar. He is not a lunatic. He was, in, anyone that says he's a lunatic is, is not even agreeing with historians. Those that don't even believe that Jesus was God can look to scripture and say, no, he was a good teacher. He was a great leader. They don't, no one comes to that conclusion. So he must be Lord. A few short chapters from here, our friend from, from last week, discouraged or doubting Thomas, will say with the great proclamation, my Lord and my God, because he'll get it. When he sees those holes in his hands and sees him, Jesus had raised from the dead, he will make that proclamation and we can make that. We should make that proclamation today. So if we believe in God the Father and God the Son as two persons of one being, we will be changed by by receiving the comfort and confidence needed to face the uncertain times ahead. Just as we're facing difficulty in our lives, the disciples faced in their lives, his first words to them was, believe in me. And that was the, that's the first thing we need to do when we're facing difficulty and uncertainty is believe in God. Building off of that belief, if we understand that God the Father and God the Son are who they say they are, then we can also believe that greater works are possible. Verse 12 says, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. So, before Jesus was with them, there, when Jesus started his ministry, I should say, incredible works followed. Miracles happened. Conversions happened. Healings happened. With Jesus leaving them, they're going to assume those things aren't going to happen anymore. He is the source of all of that, which is correct. Jesus was the source of those, but with his departure, he is reminding them, just as God the Father was still here with you, was here with you before I was physically here with you, so he will continue to be with you when I am gone. Stay tuned. We'll learn about the Holy Spirit here next week. But this is the point that Jesus is making, that these greater works don't stop when I'm physically gone. By... Uh, Explanation: The greater works here are not things that are more incredible than what Jesus did in his ministry. They aren't something that is better than what he did. But Jesus had three years of ministry in an isolated area of the world. His disciples will have multiple years, decades more of ministry, and they're going to do it in multiple countries. They're going to spread. That's the greater that is being referenced to here is that their works will multiply. So we, we can have confidence then that 
the work that Jesus started is able to be continued. That's what the disciples needed to understand. That's what we need to understand. We'll, we'll look here in John chapter 4, verses 37, 38, to, to explain this further. It says, For in this case, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored, and you have benefited from their labor. So he's using an agricultural explanation, illustration, as he does often with the Jewish people, to show them this work that I started, you will be able to build off of. You will be able to continue. It will be able to be multiplied if you're doing it in my name, if you're doing it in belief that it can be. These things that were done in Jesus's ministry were for the gospel. Jesus did not do anything in his ministry that wasn't to show people the truth of who he is and bring them to belief in him. He didn't just heal people and just disappear. The disciples were not just going to walk into a situation and just heal everyone, raise a dozen people from the dead and move on with their life. Everything they do, which is multiplied by Jesus, is for the ministry of bringing people to him. And that's the same for us. The works that we do, if we're doing them in Jesus' name, he will multiply them. This is what his promise is. It's not just flippant actions. We don't walk up to someone and um, serve them in some kind of way, donate them some kind of money, and then just run away and expect Jesus to multiply that work. That work has to come with the name of Jesus proclaimed if we expect Jesus to do anything with that work. There's a time and a place where you can you can serve people in ways that you can't you can't present the gospel to them and sow a seed for someone else to reap, as we've said here in Scripture in John chapter 4. But Jesus does promise to multiply the works that are done in his name. And if we're praying and doing it for that purpose, not for us to feel good. So you can think through the gifts and the talents that you have. Maybe you think, man, what am I supposed to offer to the church? What am I supposed to offer to the kingdom of God? That is so so huge and so beyond me. Well, God has gifted us all in individual ways. Do you like to paint? Then paint depictions of God's word in a way that brings it to a new light to other people. Are you a natural encourager? Lead people to the ultimate comfort found in Jesus Christ alone. If you're a teacher, then join in teaching a community group to men and women or children to show them the gospel in a way that they can understand. If you like to write, if you're a gifted writer, write about the riches of God's glory and post that out for others to see. If you are a photographer, if you like taking pictures, take pictures of the beauty of God's creation and, and make that known that that is what that is. If you're a leader, gather up these people with all of these gifts and go do something greater for God's ministry. If you 
are enjoy, if you enjoy or are gifted in cleaning and cooking and building and engineering, do it here in the church. Do it in the community. Do it on the mission field. In Jesus' name, and he promises to multiply it. If you don't believe the words, just give it a try and see what happens. You will not be disheartened if you're doing things in Jesus' name. Belief that greater works are possible will change your life if you take that belief and put it into action through the ministries God has given you. We have a third belief. Belief that prayer will be profitable. Verses 13 and 14 say, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Those are some, some bold words from Jesus. And there's sometimes some difficult words for us to grasp. As encouraging as this might supposed to be sounding for the disciples, the reality is the Jewish people just experienced 400 years of silence since the last prophet. How are they going to believe that when Jesus leaves them, anything will change? Are they going to go back into silence? Back into the same tradition of the Pharisees? And how, how is anything different now? Jesus is saying, because you have my name. You have a man on the inside now. It's not your sin-ridden name. It's not the hopes that the priest was pure enough to bring your prayer to God. You can come straight to God in my name, is what he says. We can have a confidence that is beyond our own name. Matthew Henry explains this and says, we have no name in heaven. Being sinners, we have an ill name there, but Christ is a good name, well known in heaven. We can have comfort in knowing that our prayers are heard. He continues to say, let me hear from you in prayer and you shall hear from me by the spirit. It's hard to say goodbye, especially to someone that is encouraging and, um, and, and dynamic as Jesus was. They didn't have a way to write to him. It's not like he was going to the next town. He was leaving them. It's not like they would receive a letter of correspondence from him. Prayer was the only way to speak to him. And he is promising to respond to them in the spirit. That their prayer would be profitable. There are elements that need to be incorporated in our prayer for those prayers to be aligned with what Jesus is speaking of here. These prayers need to be in the, by the will of God. They need to be something that only God can do, and they need to be for God's glorification. We can't just pray for, for things that are convenient and expect that to be a promised profitable prayer we 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 aren't to just throw up prayers for our own sake and then throw jesus's tagline on there is oh yeah this is who it's coming from 
we have to be considerate of those elements. It must be of the will of God. How do we know the will of God? God's word tells us the will of God. In the book of, of Micah, it says, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. The will of God is for our sanctification. The will of God is for us to do the ministry that Jesus started to minister to widows and orphans and those in need. Those things we absolutely know are the will of God. And we can pray in confidence that God will hear those prayers. We shouldn't just be praying for a bigger house so that we feel better about our status in life or praying for uh, better health so we don't have to watch what we eat and how we work out or, or praying for, uh, you know, peace on earth just so we don't have to worry about all the conflicts that are going around. We have to pray for ministries to be successful. You can pray for the ministry of the church that our VBS outreach would be more impactful in our community. You can pray for the committees of this church that personnel and the deacons and the finance team would have discernment and be able to make decisions with confidence. We can pray for the health of of the church in, in discipleship, that our community groups would be able to make impacts, our discipleship groups, our relationships would, would actually cause growth in people. But what if you pray for something that is good and it doesn't happen? That's the reality. We look to his word. It says, I will do it. We have a promise. What happens if I, I pray to be able to go on a missions trip, but I never raise enough money? What if I'm sick stuck at home and I pray to be healthy enough to get to church and I'm still stuck at home? What if you pray for the opportunity again and again to be able to adopt a child and it keeps falling through? You were wanting to raise a child and to make disciples for the next generation. What if you pray for eight years to have your own child and an ends in a miscarriage? What are we supposed to do with that? God is promising his prayers are profitable. He promises, I will do it. There's a a gap in our understanding sometimes. The disciples with Jesus for three straight years of ministry, they had a pretty good idea of what what God's will was but there were still flaws in their understanding. How do we, so many years later, have so much confidence to say, oh, this is obviously the will of God. This is a good thing. Obviously, this is God's will. I'm gonna pray, and if he doesn't follow through on it, then he's failed me. These prayers not following through are not a lack of your faithfulness, Directly, and not a lack of Jesus providing and protecting as he promised. God's timing and God's will for our lives might be different than what we expect them to be. There can be a good thing that is not the will of God in that specific time, in that specific way of what we are wanting it to be. Belief in those moments to continue to pray, 
for God's will is the type of belief that will change you. Belief that prayer is profitable will change your life by opening you to a world of possibilities only found in surrendering to the will of God. So, we have three beliefs. Belief in the Father and the Son. God loves us. God exists. God sees our brokenness and the gap that is between his perfection and our sin. He sends his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us, to live a perfect life, an unjust death, to raise again, to wipe away our sin guilt. And we believe in that, that Jesus was God, is God, and that God is still there. That will change us. If we believe that greater works are possible, that the gifts and talents that God has given us can be used for his ministry, and we do those things faithfully, he will multiply them. That kind of belief will change you. If we believe that prayer is profitable, even if we don't know the right words to say, if we get up and we just cry out to God, Lord, speak on my behalf, Holy Spirit, intercede. That faith, that belief will change you. We have to follow each of these beliefs with action. Belief in and of itself does nothing for us if we do not follow it up with action. These disciples were in a very pivotal time, pivotal time. Jesus was leaving them and they had to believe these things to walk forward in confidence. We are in a pivotal time as this church in our country, in this world. We have to believe in these things to make a difference in our lives and in the lives around us. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises you make. Lord, help us to believe. Help our unbelief that we may see you work and surrender to your will. Thank you, God, for this encouragement. Jesus, for what you've said to your disciples and what you're saying to us today. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.